Today is March 15th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, which are the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, the Sutina Nation, and I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki. Mekochis chase tukom aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman, and that was my attempt of Blackfoot. My spirit name was given to me in ceremony, and my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I tried to learn the proper pronunciation. I honor your land, and that I'm a guest on your land, so thank you for those teachings. I'm Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, which is a very English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card issued by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My, I acknowledge my Dene lineage that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede in Satu Dene. Uh, Mokinstis is the term for uh, that the Blackfoot used to describe Calgary. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous people, but as well as honouring the host as the guests. Many, any mistakes, misinterpretations will be on me, and I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you can, if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. I have to give a shout out to my super loyal donors. Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Celine, Brian, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Vanessa, Veronica, Tiffany, and I have a brand new podcast person who is on my list, and I believe her name is Karen. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for being a listener and for donating what you can uh, whether you're once, many times, and had to quit, I just need you to know how much I appreciate your support. So, a lot's happened in the last week since <laughs> we aired. Um, the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, is something that we're all listening to and talking about, and unfortunately, I will be today as well. 
And I know um, I was really grateful to be on Pink Tech's podcast, and they're going to air that. And as soon as I know, I will air it as well. And they basically are two women here in Alberta that talk about uh, the economy with um, a female lens. And then they had me on the show to talk about COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And I figured, well, I might as well talk about it on, on my show to my listeners too. So if you listen to one, you might hear a lot of the same overlap in this one. But as always, if somebody has me in a guest on their show, I most definitely want to support their show and, um, and just be grateful that they wanted me on their show at all. So uh, first and foremost, Pink Tax. So I said this to my husband. I'm like, hey, so I'm a guest on Pink Tax. And he looked at me like, uh, so this is about girls? <laughs> and that cracked me up. So you might be listening. There might be a few folks that think the same thing. So Pink Tax is the expenses women pay just to be women. So for example, when we have our moon time and we're or our period, you know, we get to pay for having supplies that take care of that. Um, that's an example of a pink tax. How much of our healthcare system is looked upon as secondary simply because we're women when the truth is that's for all of humanity. But regardless, that's not the point. Pink tax podcast, um, I know a lot of folks are asking, hey, what are some of your favorite podcasts right now? Um, so even for me, I should probably take some time and have a listen. So I got on there and uh, I guess the first thing I had to do is give background. Why COVID-19 or the coronavirus would be um, having a different Indigenous lens than maybe uh, non-Indigenous Canadians would understand. So first and foremost, um, we've had genocide placed upon us. That's number one. Um, you know, as a result, we actually are living a post-apocalyptic state as opposed to non-Indigenous who get to live this whole brand new world that they've created in their, in their imagination um, when the reality is, is that for thousands and thousands of years, our people had lived here alongside uh, with many different um, animals like the buffalo and because of colonialism we don't anymore so we live a post-apocalyptic world and um, the new imposed colonial policies on us have caused major health uh, issues deficits across the board so I want to get a little more into that so first and foremost we'll start with the fact that um, you know our food source was eradicated so if I told all people who are eating chicken every night that you can never eat chicken again ever and you never had access to it, that would change your chemistry in your body. Uh, same thing if I just took out, I don't know, corn, something that is a, a staple to something that you may eat. If I just took that out of your life, that would change your body chemistry. And especially if your body had depended on that food for thousands and thousands of years. So that's the first trauma that's happened to our bodies as a result. Of course, we were no longer allowed to, you know, live the way that we used to live. So uh, buffalo hunts are obviously not happening. Um, my understanding of our history is that we had different places that we would plant gardens at, and uh, those are all gone because we don't have the access to those things. When the Indian Act was imposed upon us, uh, they also imposed a lot of land clearing policies they imposed. Um, 
the eradication of our food source, but also uh, means to uh, create food. So I reference Clearing the Plains book from James John Chuck quite frequently for a reason, because it really goes deep into the agricultural policies that were imposed on Indigenous that weren't imposed on non-Indigenous. And, you know, like I was saying to people, especially ones that are like, you know, proud fifth generation farmers, think of all of the government policies that your families benefited from to the detriment of Indigenous people. That's what real reconciliation is, trying to understand the gravity of that. Um, so then we were violently uh, taken from our families and violently put into these um, Indian residential schools, violently treated while we were there, whether it was emotionally, sexually, verbally, and culturally. Many of us died. You had a higher chance of surviving World War II than going into an Indian residential school. Those are the stats. It's not me making it up. That's just a reality. Um, we were experimented on as well. Uh, always chronic starvation, chronic. Um, if you talk to any residential school survivor, they speak at length how hungry they were all the time. And those policies were imposed on our people. Um, many uh, drugs and such that were first tested on Indigenous people in Indian residential schools. So we have um, a lot of health deficits as a result. Now, on top of that, the structure of health programs are not given dollar-to-dollar -dollar funding from Canada to Indigenous communities. And as a result, there's a lot of uh, deficit infrastructure when it comes to health. There's tons of folks that don't have access to a doctor or a nurse at all. Um, and that's just one aspect of it, not having medical centers and such. Um, there's a lot of places, like for example, up in Yellowknife, if you're having any type of uh, major issues, they do an automatic fly down from Yellowknife into Edmonton so that you can be treated in an Edmonton hospital. Um, and this is quite normal for a lot of northern communities all across the country that the moment you have a, a severe health issue, you're separated from your family and um, go alone. Now, another um, historical issue that we have with our health are Indian residential school policies. And we actually haven't had this conversation nationally. As I said earlier, uh, Indian residential schools disproportionately killed people um, you know, so much so that it was safer to go to World War II than it was to go to Indian residential school. A lot of the kids contracted uh, TB, and as a result, they segregated us into our own hospitals called Indian hospitals. And the mortality rate was just as awful there. Um, we haven't even had that conversation nationally about how we need to have apologies and, rep um, you know, restitution. Um Jordan's principle was something that um, we didn't really talk about, but I didn't uh, really get an opportunity to, to dive into. And um, those who follow Dr. Cindy Blackstock's work, she has been the leading force on all of this work for it comes to dollar-to-dollar um, -dollar funding and care for Indigenous children, specifically ones in the, in the system. And Jordan's principle is more specific to health, where instead of having federal and provincial um, bodies fighting over who pays for an Indigenous child, it just gets done, and they figure out the money afterwards. Um, and that hasn't been fully implemented, but she's been one of our strongest uh, voices, leading voices on that. 
So as I said in the Pink Tax podcast, please follow Cindy Blackstock. She's our leader on that. Um, so back to our health issues. So another problem that we face is the amount of racism that we receive in the healthcare system. Um, I've talked at nauseam, frankly, about my issues that I've had, whether it was giving birth to my daughter, my recent sickness that I had. Um, all of these things have added up to just my lived experience with racism within the system, let alone other people who, you know, may be speaking English as their second language or um, from the reserve and coming into the town. Like we all experience this extreme racism in the healthcare system. So with that, that means we don't get proper diagnosis. We don't get proper care. We don't get proper prescription drugs given to us. And as a result, that kills us. And many times. Um, so now we have a coronavirus and it's a pandemic. The World Health Organization called it. Um, I want to say Thursday. I could be wrong. You can all look it up. What matters is that today is a Sunday. And in the course of like four days, we've had many organizations globally start to shut their doors, shut their borders, um, institute new policies about flying and um, encouraging people to stay home many places closing so my mending broken hearts that we do on Mondays it's over uh, tomorrow's book club canceled um, they you know anything that requires 250 more people is definitely done so um, for example they had like the car show or whatever and they just automatically shut it down and all conferences are just um, being cancelled for the moment everything um, and the indigenous people a lot of folks rely on these types of conferences um, they don't have full-time jobs they certainly don't have benefits they get uh, these speaking gigs and everything's cancelled so you can imagine how detrimental this is going to be on the Indigenous people for economy purposes, let alone the bigger picture of our actual health issues. So let's get back to that. Uh, H1N1, uh, Northern Ontario Reserve, actually asked the government, like, what do you plan to do? And the, at the time, Harper government sent up uh, body bags as uh, their idea of help. Um, Mark Miller, who there's two... Um, divisions of Indian Affairs now and one is with Mark Miller's where he actually does the services part and the other part is with Carolyn Bennett where they do the governance structure. Well with Mark Miller who speaks Mohawk and um, you know is obviously his constituency is uh, or his um, electoral district is is uh, on Mohawk territory. He learned how to speak Mohawk and uh, you know, very calm, collective, nice fellow. Um, his solution was to send isolation tents. And, um, you know, uh, many folks across the internet, rightfully so, native Twitter, have said, oh, um, I'm sure a tent will really help in this snowstorm. And people are posting pictures of, you know, their minus 40 snowstorms that are happening. And just to try to illustrate the fact that, you know, it's a really tone-deaf reply to the crisis that we're going to be facing. And as I said on the podcast for the pink tax, I said, you know, 
you got to look at any money that's being invested for Indigenous people. you got to first and foremost divide that by 650 because we have, you know, 300 and, or 634 actual reserves. We have a Métis Nation, we have the Inuit, and there's many um, divisions within that. So the, all that money, once you divide it by 350, that gives you an idea like how how small the numbers become when you even take something like 1 billion you divide it by 650. Um, so I always want to give that perspective out there to people to understand the gravity. Um, we're already at a deficit. You know, we don't have clean water. We don't, we have overcrowded housings of that housing. A lot of it's moldy and just like not functioning, not, not for the purposes that we need it to. Um, this is our reality. This is our lived reality with Canada. So, um, you know, obviously any health crisis that's going to be hitting Canada, while that is urgent, it's going to continue the ge uh, genocide that Canadians have imposed on in Indigenous people and um, amplify that. So I hope that gives some real context to non-Indigenous people listening and wondering, like, why is there a difference when it comes to Canada and the way they treat Indigenous people? And it's because colonialism has basically segregated us to a life of genocide. And we're living a post-apocalyptic state and trying to survive the next apocalypse, basically. And I don't really like using that term for coronavirus, but it's uh, I'm, I'm struggling with words, I guess, uh, is the best way to say it. And I hope that we find the right way to talk about this pandemic without exaggeration and... Um, you know, with accuracy, I don't, I don't want to be perpetuating awful, awfulness out there. But, um, you know, I can say, I'm seeing a lot of our folks very triggered. Um, you know, our people have survived so many different awful traumas. And then on top of that, we have intergenerational uh, mistrust for great reasons. And, um, you know, that that's surfacing. So there's a lot of infighting and personal attacks. And what is really interesting is that just by chance, uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who is the Alberta uh, medical officer, just happens to be somebody I grew up with um, just by chance. And my husband and I grew up with her. My husband is uh, the grade up above me and she was in that grade. And so like I know her. So it's really weird to watch her on TV at all, let alone um, call her Dr. Hinshaw when to me she's just Dina. And not that that's any less or more, but I'm like super proud that she became our, you know, chief medical officer. Don't get me wrong. I just, um, I've found f even for me, I have a hard time with the personal attacks that people have had on her. So like I had one, uh, political friend I unfriended because she was like, Oh, she looks sickly. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Hmm. Oh, fuck you very much. And I unfriended them and blocked them because, uh, <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're going to judge her looks. That that and this was from a woman, nonetheless. Um, then other people were like, you know, tell me what you think of this coronavirus and uh, you know resources that you think without links. And it's like, well, the only link that matters is the Alberta Health Services link, because if we're not listening to the scientists who are coordinating their best efforts on this, then. Like, I'm sorry, but people's non-medical opinion isn't going to matter as much. Um, indigenous people have survived a lot of this, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be 
well aware of what the Western world's um, scientists are, are collaborating together on. It can be both without, you know, spreading a bunch of misinformation. Um, anyway, so I am disappointed with some folks out there and what they're saying and, um, you know, personally attacking Dr. Henshaw. I mean, I'm all for attacking policies 100%. There's racism, sexism in the healthcare system. Um, but we are in the middle of a crisis right now. And um, the biggest thing we can do as citizens is just do what helps us the most. So like, you know, for me, I find working out helps to um, release a lot of stress. Um, I had an over hour long smudge on Friday because originally we were supposed to have a port uh, protest. Um, and that protest was going to be on Reconciliation Bridge. And we, uh, Katie, one of the folks from Idle No More, who was on our, our show, was working with the Calgary police for us to be able to possibly shut down um, Reconciliation Bridge, like Edmonton Trail, that road. And, um, you know, that d morning I had a meeting that had yet to be cancelled. Everybody else had <laughs> cancelled. But there was four of us in there, and I felt really blessed to hear from these three, basically, elders um, talk about their experiences. And one was telling me that in Airdrie, somebody was just already, um, smashing things and looting and there was nothing the security could do. And uh, by that time I was seeing that really irrational behavior from people, normally intelligent people acting irrationally. So that was when I was like, you know, I can't trust some idiot with a car to not run over and kill a police officer. Like, I just can't do that. And it was already like uh, a snowstorm that was coming on, on Friday and it was going to be cold and people were afraid. We didn't know what to expect. So um, the group definitely made the right decision to call it. And then I found out later there were people that were being laterally violent about it, and which sucks, but it just shows the trauma. It just shows that trauma that our people are, you know, have been surviving from and uh, continue to survive with. And I wish that Alberta Health Services had fucking real mental health strategies, like real reconciliation would look like us having, like my Mending Broken Hearts course, I mean, that be all over the province, all over the country, and that be every day in different locations and that people could access. Like The fact that it isn't just shows how little people really care about reconciliation, let alone moving forward in a good way. Um, I was actually sharing on the Pink Tax um, podcast that one of the things that, you know, hurt the most was hearing Justin Trudeau say um to the effect that Canadians are running out of patience with Indigenous peoples' blockades. And I, I said how much that cut like a knife because we literally show nothing but restraint, love, and um, patience for Canadians and their inability to see Indigenous as people, their inability to push their politicians to make substantial changes that are positive for everyone. Pink Tax uh, podcast really spoke a lot about economy. And I made it abundantly clear that if Canadians gave 
Indigenous a fair chance, we would contribute so much more to our economy. We literally have studies to prove it. So it is a shame that we're still here and the best that we got is still, you know, someone who's like saying something so awful to Indigenous people. But this is where we're at. Um, so just to be really clear for folks listening, while Mending Broken Hearts was cancelled, it was cancelled because the Friendship Centre closed their their uh, world to us. Um, but they closed their world to everybody. Uh, right now, Alberta Health Services is really promoting that people cancel as and, and get um, limited exposure to other people as possible. Um, and why are they asking that? There's some really good diagrams out there about, uh, you know, trying to explain this, this concept of that by limiting and self-isolation, quarantining ourselves away from the people, what will happen is that it's a slow saturation of this virus into the general public. And by doing a slow saturation, what happens is that it's not as extreme on our services, on our health services. So, for example, you know, we always talk about, you know, there being a, a big bump in, in flu bugs. Well, what that means in healthcare setting is that everything's maxed out. Well, now we're, you know, quadrupling that. So like for Italy, they actually put out their wartime procedures of setting up tents and having kiosks and such um, back to that type of thinking because of the extreme level, the extreme rise of the what the, the curve. And um, by what they're, if you even look up hashtag flattening the curve, the concept is by limiting the and quarantining, doing self-isolation, that huge bump of people with emergency won't be infiltrating the system right away. It'll be um, a rise, a slow rise that they think might, the science right now, and this literally changes minute to minute, um, they think that it would peak at around uh, May. So if that's the case, then our 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 uh, system set up and designed for healthcare can help take that um, a lot more effectively than if we have this huge m immediate bump where everybody gets sick. So that's the hope, and that's why everybody's encouraging everyone to stay home and not really interact with other people. But right now, we're seeing ridiculousness and weirdness coming out of all of the, you know, Walmarts, the grocery stores. It's it's something I've never seen before. Um, people fighting over toilet paper. That's where we're at, and uh, and it's awful because a lot of people are are hoarding, you know, Lysol wipes and all of these what people consider essential, like <laughs> even the hand sanitizer. I mean, folks, I, I don't know how to say this. I have hand sanitizer that I have with me in my purse, and I put it on literally to ease other people not literally because i know that it's ineffective for this virus to to be using a lot of these you know procedures if they're not made out of like a certain amount of uh, rubbing alcohol or all of these other things but the truth is the bigger problem that i'm seeing right now is the fear that people are having of other people of you know the judgment of you're not doing enough um and that's, like, I can understand why people would be mad at Dr. Dina Hinshaw, but it it's not her. It's that bigger picture of policy. And, um, you know, Jason Kenney's on, 
on record saying we want to make sure that we keep our oil field workers working and that our economy keeps going. And here are our protocols and best suggestions for that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of laughable, disgusting, awful, but here we are. And my biggest concern is like how many, how many people are, you know, going to lose their homes you know, uh, Italy's talked about freezing rent and freezing um, mortgage payments. And if that's not done here in Canada, then like we're gonna just going to have like probably millions of people homeless. So I'm hoping our policymakers will do something positive. Um, my, my understanding is that uh, our prime minister's wife, Sophie, tested positive to coronavirus. And as a result, Justin Trudeau is in self-isolation, working obviously in his office from home. But that's kind of the point is that, you know, everyone's now at home working. And um, I've I've really enjoyed the memes that are out there and the points that people are making. And I'll give you some examples. A lot of folks with disabilities are told on a regular basis that, uh, well, we can't accommodate you, but yet... Here we are all being accommodated for by being encouraged to stay at home when people with disabilities are told that's not possible. Um, you know, just great memes out there. One I saw was the Titanic sinking and they had uh, the band that was playing for the Titanic saying, uh, you know, the end of the world, memers. <laughs> memers, of course, being the, the folks just making fun of the ridiculousness of some of these things like, um, Greta Thunberg had, you know, been talking about we need significant policy changes right now for climate change. And it's so interesting how quickly we can do it for a virus, but we were unwilling to do it for climate change. And just incidentally, uh, if you're, you know, you probably already know this, but I'm going to say this in case you missed it. They've shown pictures of, because um, Wu-Tang... China was one of the first places that was infected and they shut down all the factories and that significantly cleared the air by just shutting down those factories. So, you know, we, we know it's possible to do significant changes right now in order to positively affect uh, climate change policies, but we just are choosing not to. Um, on that Pink Tax podcast, it was very clear to me we had two, you know, settler women who were very um, disappointed with government policy on Indigenous issues and talked about the $1 billion investment that the government was promoting for this coronavirus. And I said, yeah, but I think from our point of view as an Indigenous people, when we've seen the government so happily and willing to buy a $4 billion pipeline that was going to be uh, carrying fossil fuels, and that done so quickly... Um, when Justin Trudeau was first elected, Dr. Pam Palmater did the analysis to show that with even more significant investment, the water crisis that we all face could be solved. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it was clear the moment he was elected in 2015 that the money simply wasn't there for solving this issue, but it can magically be there, whether it's a coronavirus or whether it's a pipeline issue, it can be there. As we've seen, unlimited resources go to the RCMP on these blockades and OPP, um, 
basically, if you're a cop, you get all the resources. Why is that? Why, why is it we can afford to give all those resources to the justice system and never Indigenous people uh, unless we sue? And that's, that shouldn't be our only option. Um, so, yeah, so that's a lot of the points that I wanted to make. But uh, just remember that when you're telling Indigenous people to uh, wash their hands <laughs> when they don't have access to clean drinking water, it's such an insult. So just be conscious of what you're saying to Indigenous people and how much that we have sacrificed and had patience for Canadians on. And yet here we still are talking about our issues because Indigenous or non-Indigenous still don't get it and still have the audacity. Um, even this morning, I was having a look at uh, some of the things that had come up on Twitter. And, you know, like when you guys check Twitter, like if you're Indigenous, you're just coming across racism. Um, I'll give you an example. Croc Thundercock thought they were very funny with that name. I have stayed neutral during your blockades, even though it directly affects my work. To some degree, I understand why it's happening. But blocking supply lines during the pandemic is unbelievably stupid. The people will react, I'm sure, once they realize how bad they need food. Okay, Grok, one, you're wrong. Because their supply chains weren't actually directly inf um, impacted the way you think they were. We weren't ever at any point in time impacting food. But other ignorant things that were said. Livia DeLulo said, It is taking up mental space. It's taking up too much mental space. It's corrupting you, what suit to win, spelt wrong. Cool code, but not quite. We know what it means. You just love to argue. So nothing like trying to take away our voice on that one. There's a pandemic. The blockades need to come down now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of problems like, you know, our clean drinking water scenario, lack of uh, infrastructure, our kids being stolen, you know, COVID Canada is killing vulnerable people and you want to promote blocking one of the most efficient ways to get medical supplies distributed properly. People like you are one of the reasons I will not support the Wet'suwet'en. Boy, there's a whole lot of racism to unpack there. Like you can't, you know, support consent. So now you hate all of us people and we are somehow the detriment to medical supplies. <laughs> They literally have reports showing collusion between the two different major railways so that everything was just shipping on on time fine. Um, the parliamentary budget officer just gave a report to the prime minister showing that we weren't affecting the GD GDP in negatively at all. So, you know, this is just racism to be racist. Well, oh, this person. Fuck those terrorists. Chief Suppertech. What a winner. Why the male ch chiefs do not like the pipeline route strip the female chiefs of their titles? Do you support their misogyny? <laughs> well, lying creep, guess what? If you dismantle the Indian Act, then we get rid of that misogyny, don't we? But that would be too much thinking for you. Tyler Durden says, you're still disrupting supply lines at a time like this. What is wrong with you? 
just a disgusting, savage thing to do during a pandemic, which was spelt wrong, by the way. <laughs> just read the other comments. Bah ha ha. Looks like support for you ter for your terrorist cause is still strong. Laugh out loud. Yeah. Speaking of terrorism, anyway, uh, nothing like. Oh, this is ignotable dirt lump. Obviously, these are all trolls. Nothing like some asshole LARPing as a native putting our national supply chain in peril during a crisis. No one is giving me attention, so I need to sad farm. Uh, if these fucking idiots block any supplies that may help your relatives with compromised immune system, how are you going to feel? I have family members going through these same protesters, blah, 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 my bullshit. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I feel the need to put my crappy opinion out there. So these are the types of things I'm reading. Um, and this is just like on anything to do with indigenous people anywhere on the internet. Like a, you can randomly pick anywhere and hear this bull crap. So, you know, I, I bring it up because like, not only are we fighting a systemic system that wants our genocide, but we're also fighting these type of comments when we go out to try to find some information about what's happening where. Um, so, think about that as your privilege as well that you don't have to deal with that as every time that you go online um what are some other things that i wanted to talk about i guess everything's been canceled when i look through the things that you know um some projects that were coming up everything is being canceled so that that's how badly the uh, coronavirus is affecting indigenous people is that when we're only at conferences and that's the only space that we're given and today right now the schools are still open here in Alberta anyway I believe in the states that they've closed and in Ontario they closed but here in Alberta our schools are still open because um, the science just doesn't support closing them quite yet so for me uh, Samantha didn't want to go to school on Friday and I'm not going to force her to go. She had a bit of, she has an allergy. So when she has a little bit of a snotty nose, which is usually from allergies, um, you know, today right now is not the time for me to have to justify to anybody about any of this. So I just didn't even bother. And then as the day progressed, it was really clear. It was really smart just to keep her anyway. Anyway, Dr. Hinshaw said that at a certain point when they do close the schools, that it will likely be until the next school year that they reopen. And um, that's a really sobering thought. So um, I'm going to see tomorrow. My daughter seems excited to go. And I'm going to encourage her to start bringing home all of her personal items. Because I really do think it's just a matter of like hours and days here before they uh, close the school. And she probably won't have the rest of the, se rest of the school year anyway. So we'll see what uh, contingency plans that the CBE bring up. But regardless, I think that, um, you know, I've looked a lot into homeschooling and looks like that might be our next thing. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, so that's that's a bit about the coronavirus. If you have thoughts, opinions, ideas that you have about this that you wanted to bring up, please don't hesitate to, to send it in. But I did want to say if you're Indigenous and listening... Um, I talked about the hour-long protest that we were supposed to have for the Wet'suwet'en, and um, 
I just prayed for that time. That's all I did was I lit the smudge and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I connected to my ancestors, you know, started um, praying about bigger picture concepts. And um, yeah, after that hour, I felt a lot more at peace. I smudged the whole home um, because there's a lot of anxiety that's being triggered right now uh, in myself, in my daughter, even in my dreams. Um, so after I smudged the next day felt so much better. The house still smells like sweet grass, I think. Um, so it's nice and I'll just keep doing that. And, uh, one of the messages I got on Friday from sitting with the elders was that, uh, our ancestors are wanting us to pray more and, um, not just pray when we need something, but you know, every time we wake up, be grateful grateful that we woke up be grateful for the food we have be grateful for the water we drink be grateful for the people we're with be grateful for our health be grateful for our puppies our kitties whatever it is that you might have you know just be grateful for the roof over your head um and be thinking about other people be thinking about neighbors be thinking about homeless people be thinking about um, those who are maybe with unsafe family uh, right now, we're probably going to see a huge rise in domestic violence. Um, how many kids felt school was their one safe place to be? On the flip side, you know, I seen a memer put out there that um, when they told their 10-year-old they were done school, the kid looked at them and, and realized that that means that they're safe from sh school shootings. That was a pretty sobering uh, comment about the reality for kids so you know no bullying in school maybe they'll get it at home or maybe through the internet but you know um it's it's a reality and then there are a lot of controlling partners out there and you know I just wish all kids had a safe place to be and live their life and enjoy their life and I seen this one doctor and um she at least she's a, a doctor on Twitter. I don't know if she is or if she isn't, but she f posted something funny that, you know, I don't care what you guys say. All I'm going to do is watch TV with my kids and we're going to eat all the junk food and enjoy this time off together. And I thought that was a really positive thing to say. And whether or not she is a doctor wasn't really the point. It was just that, you know, just live a happy life. And if that means watching reruns of Faulty Towers or whatever thing makes you giggle, then do that. A lot of people are sharing um, memes that are funny. I'm enjoying them like so much. It's not even funny because it helps relieve the stress. There's a lot of uh, autoimmune compromised people that I see posting like crazy. And I, I just feel awful because I know how triggered they are and they don't appreciate anyone taking anything lightly. But a lot of them are non-Indigenous and they haven't actually lived through an apocalypse like we have. So I think that there is a disconnect in our culture there where, you know, our people are used to living on nothing and yet are still surviving, sometimes even thriving. And, you know, that's that's the, the break of it all. We got to all take care of each other and I don't know if after this people will have more or less compassion for Indigenous issues and Indigenous people, but I sure wish people would start seeing us as their neighbours because I know I see everyone as our neighbours and um, it hurts to know that's not reciprocal. But 
it doesn't matter. We're going to still make this work. Um, one of my friends who's Muslim shared this uh, business that's making all the meat pies to throw in your freezer. So you can just warm those up and eat them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Lots of good things to do. So I'm really excited about um, reconnecting with my family and my home and just just chilling. Um, but I know... When I say that, it comes with a lot of privilege. Um, it, it does. It comes with privilege. Because I know not everybody is in that position. I think of, uh, think of a lot of folks who just had a baby, you know, lost all their speaking gigs, and um, now they have to make a living. So, anyway, violence have been... Uh, Indigenous people have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings just so they can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized people in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, mental health services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, Know that your vote to that party negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 94 Calls to Action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and the violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from the election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports, everything. Great article that I read out loud was Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell theirs, usually by people who don't understand colonialism, um, indigenous are maybe know nothing about the constant surveillance of indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, mm, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism. So that would be people who are gatekeepers, who survive off the status quo, people who are so in their trauma that they stop um, people from doing the work and depleting all their personal resources. Internalized and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and that's why I needed a podcast as a boundary to be heard. My hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer space for Indigenous people, people of colour, Muslims, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, you know, look at it as first aid only for marginalization. So first you have to do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system for yourself. 
so that you can help advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, and ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Being prepared, oh, be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to give a shout out to www.heretohelp.bc.ca slash vision slash indigenous people slash what is indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it as that resource that I just read. Internalized and external or internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous and marginalized people speak by the structure of racism imposed on these lands like the Indian Act or Indian residential schools and other land clearing policies. And you can look that up just like you can look up cultural safety. You can look up race equity tools. Uh, there's a really good resource. What is internalized racism? <coughs> by Donna Bevins. Do's and don'ts for bystander, bystander intervention by American Friends uh, Service Committee. If you witness public instances of racism, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or other forms of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, there are tips on how to intervene while considering the safety of all involved. <coughs> First, just let your presence be known. Uh, sometimes giving a card to a person being oppressed lets them know that they are being um, seen, that they're... You know, it, it's a tra uh, traumatizing thing at the moment it happens. And, um, you know, it's just that validation that, yep, this is happening and somebody else actually sees this. So you, that's something you can do. Um, you can make eye contact with the person being harassed. You can sometimes move closer to them. You can create a barrier between the harasser and, and, the, and the person being harassed. If it's safe to do so, film the um, incident, but get permission before posting it. Um, unless you know it's past that point. Just take cues from the individual being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser or not? Can you make suggestions like, would you like me to walk? Would you like to walk with me? Um, do you want to move to another train car? Uh, do you want him to leave you alone and follow their lead? But notice if the person's already resisting in their own way and honor that, especially white people don't tone police the person being harassed. Somebody's attacking me and I'm telling them they're a piece of shit colonizer. You don't need to tell me I need to be quiet. It's actually that person who harassed me who needs to be told. So don't tone police them. Follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over and see if there's, a, there's, if there's anything else they need. Just keep in mind that at the time there's a lot of shame and trauma and people might not be ready to talk about it until sometimes even months after the event. Uh, but do what you can to both be safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there other people you can pull in? Working as a team is a better idea. And can you and the person being harassed move to a safer place? Please remember, if there's one person who's beating, who's like verbally assaulting another person or maybe even physically, that two people are better than one. So, you know, be safe, but 
be realistic. Would you really want your daughter or, or someone you know being harassed that way? Would you just leave them? Uh, don't call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment from Arab, Muslim, immigrant, queer, black, indigenous, trans, the police can actually be a greater danger than the person being harassed. So don't escalate the situation. Uh, the goal is to get that person to safety and not incite further violence. But don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids to be accountable in a positive way. Ask people, what did you mean by that when people say uncomfortable things? Ouch. Repeat back to them what they said. Sometimes when people say something really stupid and you repeat it back to them, that's enough. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for teaching me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots. And teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, he's been my childhood friend, father of our child and my support down my journey of the Red Road, witnessing decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, I am honored you chose us. You, gave, you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. So thank you, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jos Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenny, Kenna, um, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Vanessa, Tiffany, Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or had many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening in, can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end with, when I give side-eye to those Calgary rabbits, you're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> thank you for listening.